Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the podcast. This is Real Talk with Zuby. I have got on the founder and the COO of Taste Creators, which is an artist development agency based out in Philadelphia in the U.S. of A, Brianna DeMeo. And hey. Watts, welcome to the show. What up, what up? Hello, hello. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. Sleepy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You had a, a big big night last night or just a busy week? We've been going crazy, man. It's been just really, really nonstop since 2019 started because we had like a whole month of uh, artist development in January. We did a boot camp and now like we're shooting a documentary and we're about to head to L.A. this week. And we've literally been in the office every single day doing something. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So to begin with. Let's start with what it is that you guys do. When was Taste Creators founded and how would you describe your work? Interesting. All right. So I think we've actually known each other since Zuby. I think, did you hear of Exclusive Public? Like, did you know me back in those days when I had the other company? I had another company called Exclusive Public that I, I started probably so. like six, seven years ago. Um, where I was doing like PR and, and, and branding and marketing for artists. And then Taste Creators started. Uh, it's funny. It's, it's actually, I didn't even realize it's five years now that I came up with the name and did the socials and put the website up. But it, was, it wasn't a full service agency back then. It was Exclusive Public was the agency and Taste Creators was the music blog. Um, but then, you know, a couple years went by and I met this lovely guy uh watts that's also on the call <laughs> and uh we decided to just you know merge the companies together and run with taste creators uh essentially what we do i mean we we offer a a lot of different services um for artists and their management and their labels but essentially we just become 
the artist team. So we, we meet the artists where they're at. We fill in the gaps with what they need. Uh, a lot of what we do is strategy. We always start with, you know, marketing strategies. Um, we do branding. We, we do digital marketing, playlisting, PR, um, but most likely in that order. So it's like sometimes artists come to us and they're like, hey, I need a PR campaign for my new album. And then we look into them and we see, well, hey, wait, like, what's your actual plan? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, what's the complete plan here? Or are you just contacting us for PR and you want that to save the day? So we usually start with like, let's, let's, let's see where you're at right now. Let's, let's make sure the foundation is right. And then, you know, let's move forward how it's going to, however, it's going to benefit the artist. That's how we, that's how we work. Yeah. And Watts, how did you, uh, how did you get involved with Taste Creators? How did you guys meet up? Yeah, well, so um, my uh, my 2017 was a bit crazy. I started off in 2017 being on the radio in Philadelphia, having my own radio show in Top 40 Pop and Hip Hop um, on a CBS radio station. And then that station flipped in that January. Uh, and so they wanted me to come back and play like adult contemporary music. And I was not feeling... You know, like Gwen Stefani, the soccer uh, teams. I wasn't, I wasn't feeling that whole, that whole demographic. So I was like, all right, you know, thank you guys, I appreciate it. But I'm gonna go try my hand at the music industry. Mm. Uh, and so I moved back to New York, where I'm originally from, and got a job at Atlantic Records, working in the, in the international marketing department. Um, so I was there for about four and a half months, and the corporate life wasn't really for me. Um, it was really cool. I learned a lot. I worked with some huge, huge artists, uh, and, and worked on those major campaigns across the across the world. Uh, but it just really wasn't wasn't for me. I kind of wanted to use those major label tactics and strategies and techniques and bring them to, un, to you know to developing underground up and coming artists. I feel like that's more impactful. Um, yeah. So I left at the end of 2017, came moved back to Philly and was working with a couple artists in the studio, helping them write, helping them understand how their music impacts their brand. And an artist who goes by the name of Joey Cathos uh, introduced. Uh, me to Brianna uh, in December, I believe, of 2017, um, and so we met. We we met like very briefly. Like it wasn't it wasn't supposed to be like a meeting. I just kind of came by with the the artist with Joey, mm. and Brianna had a bunch of people at the office, and she said, uh, "Come back tomorrow. We have a conversation. We have to have a conversation." And so I came back. Literally, I'll never forget. It was like a Saturday in December, and we talked for like eight hours straight. <laughs> oh and wow! We just, and we just clicked. We just clicked. So we knew. Um, I mean, Brianna, you pretty much offered. You were like, "I need you as my partner." You pretty, you, you, you said that after a couple hours. Yeah, and I mean, I'm picky too. So like, I'm here. is that okay? <laughs> no, I'm just really, really picky. But like, he, I was at a point where I, I was a little bit overwhelmed, and I knew that I needed some help. But I needed somebody that really got it, that really understood that I didn't have to like train from the bottom up. You know, Watts has a lot of experience. He's, he's worked in radio. He's worked at the labels. I'm not the label person. You know, he's the label guy. I'm the one that's like independent everything. Do this yourself. So we like really meet each other in the middle. Um, so it just it, it just really made total sense uh, for him to come on board and for us to really rock together. Yeah. Yeah. And then so in January of 2018, we pretty much spent the whole month kind of like building out our services, putting all the descriptions on everything and really doing that like internal process that you have to start as an agency and of course that's always changing but there was a lot of groundwork a lot of you know foundational stuff we had to lay uh in january uh, of last year yeah because it really was a transition like i was getting rid of my my company and transition transitioning into taste creators being an actual agency instead of just a music blog so uh it, it was it was an interesting journey but it was really really cool yeah. and now it's like we've been inseparable <laughs> yeah ah that's awesome 
Are you both um, originally from Philly? He's from New York. I'm from Philly. Oh, New York and Philly. Okay. <clears throat> That's awesome. Uh, so, Watts, uh, one thing that you said there that intrigued me is when you said that the corporate life at the label wasn't yeah. for you or didn't, didn't fit you. What specifically do you mean by that? <laughs> so, I mean, the there's a – okay. Without, without, Sorry, I'm not, I'm not trying to catch anybody out here. I'm just no, 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 no. I, I, I like to I like to dig into things people say. I think the biggest thing for me was when you work at a label, you're you know, there's a humbling that goes on when you work there, right? Like there's a huge amount of people that work there. There's VPs, EVPs, SVPs, COOs, presidents. You know what I mean? There's all these millions of titles and structures, and it has to have that because it's a, it's a huge machine, right? Um, but one thing I really just didn't really appreciate is how if you're not at a certain level, your ideas are either stolen or they don't matter. Okay. Um, and so for me, you know, I came in with a couple of years of professional radio experience. So I wasn't like I came in as, you know, as an intern or I didn't come in, you know, my dad, it's not like my dad or uncle worked there and got me in. I didn't know anybody at Atlantic. I broke into that company. I cold emailed, cold LinkedIn message. I was, the only, I was one out of 10 applicants um for the job and i was the only one out of the 10 that didn't know anybody and didn't do okay. an internship there so for me it was like okay i'm an outsider coming in i bring a whole new refreshing perspective and i was kind of met on the inside with oh <clears throat> that's not how we do things here or oh you know that idea sucks and then it turns out that idea is the one that they used and so like <laughs> I'm, I, won't, I won't yeah i won't get into too many specifics but for me it was just kind of like why you know, why stay here when I, when I am learning so much at the label too, that I can combine my knowledge and take it and do something on my own and be my own boss and be my own, you know, like I felt like you run it the right way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I kind of wanted to lead a team as well. And at the label, you're always, always, always obviously looking up to somebody else always, unless gotcha. you're literally one of two people at the label who are the yeah. people running it. You know what I mean? So yeah. for me, it was like, I, I appreciate leadership qualities and leadership skills. And it, it, it doesn't really work that way in a corporate structure in the music industry. It's just kind of like, if you have a lot of plugs and you, and you, and you, you can make things happen, then they give you a high title, but it's like, they could be a horrible leader and they'll never address it. And I'm not saying this only happened at, at you know, and it didn't happen all over Atlantic. It didn't happen no. all over Warner or all over all the music industry, but just in general, all corporations are like that. And I don't think it's music specific. I think it could have been any corporation that I was at in any other field. I wouldn't, it wouldn't have been my style. Yeah, no, I think companies in general, once they get past a certain size, I mean, uh, before I went into my music full time in 2011, I worked for a company that had like 200,000 employees, you know, so really big company. And yeah, you can get that feeling like you're, you're kind of a, co a cog in the wheel and the position you're in or the ideas you have, or once something is too big, it becomes really slow to move. Right. So yeah. you're, you're, you're trying to, you're this tiny little cog in the machine and you might see something quite obvious where you're like, you know, this thing can be done better, but because of your position or your age or whatever, people are like, no, this is just how we do things. So yeah. even if it, even if it takes more time, it costs more money or whatever, which you probably could save them. They're just not really willing to hear it. So I can. It's a great point. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. I, uh, despite being in music for so long, I've always, because I've always done stuff independently, I don't really have that much of an insight into the sort of machinations of a, of a major label. Like, I don't really, apart from the stuff I read or hear, like, I don't really know how it all works. I've never spent any time in that environment. Coming into uh, setting up taste creators, like, what was the reason for starting it essentially? What was the big motivation or spark that? made you think okay like this is something that's needed 
<laughs> I, feel like it's, I feel like it's different for both of us, so you okay. go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, initially, since Stay Skaters, like, if we're talking when it first, first started, it was a music blog. So, like, I was, I was, no, I'm always known for giving artists advice. So everybody was like, Hey, you're always giving so much advice. How about you promote some music? So I kind of like threw up the blog, like, okay, cool. Um, but then the reason why we operate the way we do, let me just put it that way is because we see the craziness that goes on. We see the pay to play. We see the, uh, just like the, the people, the companies taking money from artists, knowing that they don't need that service at that time. Mm. And that really just, it, it's annoying to see artists being preyed on. And we don't, we just wanted to, you know, they say to bring to the table what you think the world needs. And mm. that's what we did. There were just certain things that were going on in the music world that still go on today that we're just totally against. And yeah. we decided to, you know, uh, do it the right way. I guess. Yeah. What What are some of those things? I've got some, which I'd imagine, but uh, what are the specifics of those things that you think are malpractice, essentially? Well, there's one major one that I kind of want to point out, and Breezy, I'm sure yours are a little more like targeted or, or specific, but there's one major one that, you know, it's, it's tough because, you know, a couple of years ago, my dream job was to be like an A&R. And now, flash forward to 2019, everybody's an A&R. Everybody has A&R in their bio. Everybody thinks that they know what's best for the artist. Everyone thinks they know what's best and how to and how to make quick plays and how are we going to get this artist here and this artist there. And it's like, well, no one's thinking about like the long-term strategy. So in my opinion, like a big thing for me with with starting the company with, with Brianna in terms of as an agency is, all right, well, how do we, you know, how do we instill long-term vision in artists because if you are going if you're an artist and you have a short-term vision you're either going to be constantly disappointed all the time and or make really poor decisions financially for your career because you're going to try to make a quick buck and try to blow up fast and that's just not how you're supposed to do it or try to sign to a label like immediately right and so there's there's a lot of people out there who who are like preaching how to blow up fast and preaching these shortcuts and that's why you know when it comes to, you know, I talked to Breezy about this, like it talks to like, I talk about like my social media person, like I'm trying to be a voice for people that is opposite from what they're getting on social media. There's a ton of people saying what to do quick, quick moves to make blah, blah, blah. And I'm always tweeting long-term mentality. I'm always tweeting, build that foundation, make sure you're doing the little things correct because that's how you're going to grow everything. And that's how you're going to uh, impact, impact your audience. But in terms of more specifics, I think Brianna could speak to more of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I totally, everything that Watch just said is totally valid. Um, there was just like, yeah, a few other things. You know, I noticed like a lot of artists come to us and they're jaded. And we hear crazy stories like, well, you know, I paid this publicist or this, uh, this company, you know, thousands of dollars. And, you know, it's like all I got was this keychain, you know. <laughs> Uh, they, don't, they, didn't, they didn't get anything from it except for, blo- for a couple of blog posts, which can can work if you know how to use them in your favor uh, and if they're not copy-pasted press releases. But I, I say that to say, like, we just wanted to do things the right way. It's like we don't want to take an artist's money uh, because they want something. They want to see their name in lights, but they don't actually know how to capitalize off of anything. They don't know how to like how they should be marketing themselves. You know, there's a, there's no reason why you should be contacting me to do a PR campaign for you if you don't have a marketing strategy mm. in place already. You know, if you don't have 
if your brand is not solidified, it's like, what is this, what story are we going to tell? Because like, when's the last time you just clicked on a random, like blog post scrolling down your timeline saying so-and-so that you've never heard of dropped a music video. Yeah. No, you, you, no, you don't click on it. So it's like, why am I going to take your money for something that's not going to help you right this second? And this is not me like bashing publicists or anything like that. It's just why have an artist pay you thousands of dollars for something that you know that they don't need right now? Well, it's also yeah. different because the publicists who are approached with that, with the money, like they don't, they're not also marketers and branding professionals. So yeah. like they're just trained to like pitch. So when artists says, okay, I need a, pre pre a PR campaign, they're just going to do that. They're not even thinking that full 360 about it, but because of, uh, of Brianna's experience and my experience, we bring very different angles to this. When we first started talking about, you know, how do we set this up? It's like, well, we had to make that conscious choice as a company to like turn away money all the time. We've turned yeah. away more money than we've made for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's all part of the long-term plan, long-term business, business plan, business strategy, but it's also about just doing the right thing. And it's kind of like, mm. there are so many bad people in the industry. It's obvious. It's a music business, right? Like there's so many people out there screwing each other yeah. behind each other's backs, not, you know, not doing the morally and, and, and ethically correct things. And for us, it's always been about just do the right thing. We strongly believe in moving organically and that those good opportunities to us, you know, as a business, to us personally, to our artists, to our team are going to come if you move in the right way. I've got this little theory that once you attach the word industry to something, you open the doors for all kinds of shadiness. <laughs> so like food is a great thing. Like food is awesome. But, you know, the food industry. Yeah, as soon as you food industry, it's like, OK, you've now opened yeah. the doors for all kinds <laughs> of stuff, right? Like fitness. Fitness is awesome. Fitness and health are fantastic. Like the fitness industry, again, it's full of, you know, all kinds of people trying to sell you like pills or some supplement or powder yeah. or do this little shortcut to get a six pack in two days, you know, like all these <laughs> kind of tricks that people fall for rather than just being like, okay, look, again, you need a long-term vision. If you weigh 300 pounds and you want to lose hundred pounds, like I can't do this for you in a month. Like, okay, you need, you need yeah. to like be looking forward 18 months, two years this is the program. Keep working at it diligently and it'll work. But then you've got people come in and, you know, trying to make a quick buck. Like, no, no, like, uh, you know, I'll put you on my one month program and, you know, give me this money and then boom, it won't work. Yeah. And yeah. There's just so much awesome. misinformation out there. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Wes. Yeah. I was just going to say that's a really awesome um, correlation or example because it's like, you know, people go to the gym once or twice a week, maybe every other day or whatever it is. And it's part of their lifestyle, right? Yeah. And then you talk about like restaurant industry or just food in general. And it's like, you talk about moderation and then you talk about music and like, it's so crazy how people really think that you can just take these shortcuts. And it's all part of the, like I said, the long-term process and doing, making sure it's part of your lifestyle, right? It's part of the process, part of your habits. And I also feel like on top of that, in relation to like moderation with food, exercising regularly and not trying to take those crazy pills. Um, and then also in terms of music, like doing the right thing for your brand each and every day, like that also, I believe leads to like a happier, more fulfilling lifestyle, because I feel oh, like if you're, if you're an artist and you, instead of trying to make a quick buck or try to blow up real fast, you know, incorporate your social media and how, and you're knowing your brand and what you're posting every day and making these moves and setting those short-term goals mm -hmm. in terms of, okay, I'm going to release an album by this time. So what do I have to do for that? Okay. I got to do this, this, and this. I feel like that's the process and that's how you really enjoy it. When you set those long, or you have a long-term mentality, but you set those short-term goals. That's yeah. a, you know, that, that's a light, it becomes a lifestyle. You're really an artist. You're really like a human being who's doing something when you set those, those sorts of uh, those mindsets.
Absolutely. I mean, being being an artist myself who's been been rapping for over a decade and doing it full time now for, you know, seven years is I can certainly understand the firsthand the, the frustration that goes into it because it's weird because you've, you've got this balance of needing to be hungry, but being patient. Yeah, they, they kind of feel like they're at odds with each other because I'm like, man, like, OK, especially once you've been doing it for a while, you're like, come on, like, you know, this is this is my time. I should be doing bigger shows. I should be selling more. I should be doing that. And right. and it's hard because one of the things you don't want to do in anything in life is be comparing yourself to other people. But in something like music, it's near impossible not to. Right. Because you'll be looking at other people. You're seeing other people coming up. You might think you're more talented. You might think, you, oh, you do this better. You're like, oh, how come this person's got this opportunity that I don't? Why is this happening? Why is that? And it's like it, it can play on your psyche a lot. And that's, I think, where people start making irrational decisions or throwing money at something that they think is going to be a quick fix yep. or whatever. And then, yeah, and I do think there are a lot of people like you guys alluded to who kind of prey on those artists who are in those positions yeah, they pay me nine hundred dollars for a you know a fifteen minute set at South by like what? <laughs> Your nine hundred dollars can go towards something else that's going to actually really benefit you. Yeah, there's so just a lot of misinformation out there. Absolutely. So, what are the main things or the main problems that artists come to you with when artists come to you guys looking for a solution? Is there something specifically yeah, that's always. normally happening? Yeah, they're always so they fill out a, uh, usually like an inquiry form. And so they usually write about themselves, you know, who they are, their social media links, whatever. And then we always hop on the phone with them because that first conversation over the phone um, is always more important than going back and forth through email, right? So almost, I would say 99.9% .9 of the time I get on the phone, I say, all right, tell me a little bit about yourself. What are you working on? What are you struggling with? The words, I just need to get my name more out there are always said every single time. I need okay. to get my name out there. I need to, I need to, I need to get on this. I need to get my, I need to, I need to see more people to know about me. I need to be a more focus on me, whatever. And that's always the main, pro it's never like, I don't know about my music. It's never questionable about what, how the music actually sounds. And that's, that's usually never a problem, never a problem that the artists say at least. They're like, I need to book um, shows. I need to like be on the fader tomorrow. Yeah, I need to get my name out there. I would say it's like the quote unquote, exactly what they're looking for every time. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that's interesting. So people come to you more often that they want to get their name out there rather than they want to monetize better or make more money. So I think one of the biggest things that we talk about all the time is we tell artists what they actually need, not what they think they need. Or we okay. do for artists what they need, not what they think they need. So artists, like I said, always think they need to get on the cover of this or get their name out there or just need promotion. And what need they really PR. need to set up their sales funnel and their brand. <laughs> exactly. And they need, they need to understand like what their brand is. And so a big thing for us is breaking that down. Because if you you can't just be a dope rapper in 2019. Everybody's yeah. a dope rapper. I'm a dope rapper. And I don't even rap. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Everybody's a dope rapper. So like, what's your, what's your story? What's your vulnerabilities? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's something that people want to know your ear, you inside and out. And if you're not willing to let your guard down as an artist these days, you might as well not even try. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. What you just said there. I mean, even just a decade plus ago, I think it was a lot easier for artists to maintain some kind of mystique or privacy or disconnection no, no, you still their can. Fans, whereas now yeah I, you still yeah, I mean, in certain okay. ways but there's a lot of artists that just want to live in the studio mm. and not put themselves out there 
or right. they do put themselves out there too much, but they're always promoting at people and they're not actually like letting anyone in. They're not letting their fans see like, you know, what goes on behind the scenes. You know, they don't, they're not forming any real connections. So it's like, you know, you just really have to find a balance. Yeah. And planned, planned mystique is one thing. What I'm saying is people who don't even understand what, like that they even need a brand. So they're not trying to be behind the scenes. They just don't, and they don't know why they need to not be behind the scenes. Okay, gotcha. So they're not making a conscious decision. They just don't know how to. And they don't know how important it is. So that's why I was saying, you know, people come to us and say, I need to, I need, I need PR, I need promotion. It's like, well, what, well, what are we even going to pitch? Because you're yeah. just a rapper from name a city. That's all we have. Yeah, it's like, what's so, the story? You know? Right. So when you talk about an artist brand, what specifically do you mean by that? How would you define an artist brand? Well, so brand really comes from a couple different things. So sonically, if I was playing your station on Pandora, what other artists would, would be on that station? So sonically, what, 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 are your, what are your either inspirations? Who do you sound like? A lot of artists think it's, you know, they'll, they say like, I don't sound like anybody. It's like, okay, well, that's not true because you wouldn't be in the genre if you sounded totally, totally unique. You could take any rapper ever, maybe not the ones that started the whole genre, but even then you can argue that they were starting because of R&B, Motown, and the old soul movement. So you know what I mean? It goes even further back. Um, so sonically, it's about, okay, well, what do you sound like? And who are those types of people that would listen to that? Um, and the other thing is, personally, your brand is really your story. Yeah, you your story, I mean? your message. What do you bring to, what are you bringing to the table? What are you trying to get out there? What are you, um, you know, just, yeah, what is your story? What, 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 what are you trying to leave? What you, what's the impact you're trying to leave on your audience? Yeah. And if you if you if the answer is just good music, that can't be an answer, because everybody's making good music, and also good music is super relative. What's not relative is, is facts about you. Mm. So if you are born in this city and you grew up with this lifestyle, and you were introduced to music uh, this way, and you are always you know, and you spent you saved up all this money and you put all that money into building your own studio. And then you mastered the, the, the craft of producing with the oldest laptop ever. Cause you didn't have money. To get, you know what I mean? Like there's all these intricacies that go into that. And that's sure. what you need to be talking about. That's what you have to be promoting. That's what your brand has to be. Because when I listen to you, it's not just going to be, Oh yeah. Like this is a cool rapper. It's like, nah, listen to this guy's story. Mm -hmm. And I always, I always bring up and I could talk about him for decades. He actually performed in Philly last night. Um, the rapper, I don't know if you're familiar is it'd be action Bronson. Yeah, I've met him. Oh, okay. Very familiar then. <laughs> yeah, he's cool. Um, he's, he's always, when it comes to branding, the person that we refer to, because he's not, he, if, if someone's listening to Action Bronson, you know who he is, you know he's not just a rapper. You know that yeah, he yeah. has this whole <laughs> other side, this whole thing that, that is about him. And that's what his, it's crazy. That's what his fans really come to see. They don't only come for the music. In fact, most of them know him for not his music. That's interesting. Yeah. J jumping on from that, how do you think that trying to think of the best way to phrase this question. So if you've got an artist who is, who does other things, like I know Action Bronson is like a, a chef, and, you know, he, he does other stuff as well. But I think sometimes as an artist, it can be tricky to understand um, if an artist wants to be known for their music. Do you think sometimes having a lot of other stuff going on or having a brand that's almost too strong in a way can kind of detach from the, the music, music or, should always or, or be the overshadow forefront. it the music should always be the forefront especially if like if you want it to be you know you, yeah. like how are your fans going to connect with you that's really where the brand comes in yeah i, I just wonder because I, I feel like there are 
perhaps some artists or not even not even just in music but i think that there are some artists and other people who it it almost seems like their brand can be bigger than their music a lot of the time that can kind of work but sometimes it might not but sometimes that could be like maybe they just need to put their music out there a bit more in front of everybody's faces you know they're again balance there has to be a balance or they might not realize that people like their personality and their other things about their brand more than they actually like listening to their music yeah or maybe or maybe the live, <laughs> yeah or maybe the live shows and the you know the experiential marketing campaigns that they've done are more effective action bronson came to a donut shop friday in philadelphia oh, and dope. he invited fans out <laughs> so like if you don't like action bronson's music but you love his show on vice where he does the talks about food and you love the cookbook that he put together and you watch his videos all the time then you can go to his concert and still get all of that. But that's, that's a different story because Action Bronson doesn't want his music to be at the forefront. He wants him to be at the forefront. Oh, okay. And so that's always the question, right? Like if you want your music to be first and foremost, the most important thing, then the answer to that is your music has to be incredible. It has mm-hmm. to be so good. It has to be so sonically great that it transcends over lots of different fan bases and it transcends over lots of different ears that wouldn't normally listen to it or maybe they would, right? Like people who like certain artists like them I, I like ariana grande and i'm not a yeah. pop music fan and she i don't like many other artists like ariana grande but i appreciate her music so it's like all right well how do you you know how does that work if you want your music to be the forefront your music has to be incredible has to be totally totally relatable it needs to be like i said sonically great um but yeah that's how i think that would have to go so when you think of so you mentioned action bronson when you think of artists that come to mind either within hip-hop or outside of it when you think of other artists that you think have Great brands. What are some other examples, I guess, especially like right now? Well, Drake is a good one. Drake built his own OVO. Drake is a really good example. I mean, having Cardi B. Cardi B. She has mm. her own brand of, of putting up those videos where she's ripping people apart, ripping politics now, and people love that. <laughs> they want her to speak at like the at Congress now here um, because, of, <laughs> because of her opinions and views. Um, but, you know, I'll give you two things. So, one, you know, a really good artist where their brand is more than their music, I would say is Drake, because you know that when you see a picture of Drake, it's usually legendary. When you see a music video, he usually looks like a boss. When you hear OVO or you listen to OVO Sound Radio on Apple Music, it's usually unreleased stuff coming from his producers and he has his own OVO producing team. So he built this OVO empire where you see the brand with the owl and everything everywhere, right? So that's one example. If you think about an artist that's music is their forefront, and the total, you know, where music is always the best part of their brand. Bruno Mars is a great example there. Okay. You know, yeah. Bruno, you know his story. You know he's from Hawaii. You know he grew up poor. But he doesn't talk about that all the time. He talks about doing the records. He talks about recording. He talks about the writing process. It's always about the music of Bruno Mars. Um, and, of course, the look. But the look and the music go very, very hand in hand with him. So for an artist, so obviously those are both artists with multi-million dollar investment. and Yeah. You know, so for an artist who might be listening to this, who's like, man, I've only got like a couple hundred or a couple thousand to work with or there's also like in. Dizzy Wrights, you know, Dizzy Wright, Chill Moody. Mm-hmm. There's there's like if we actually sat there and thought about it, there's definitely artists on the, you know, mid tier that is very attainable for yeah. the, the little guy, you know, that have great yeah, yeah. brands. OK, so for someone again, for someone who's listening to this who is, you know, starting out in their music and is trying to work out the whole branding thing. Like, I think for some artists, the the story kind of 
writes itself quite easily. But I think you've got quite a lot of artists now where I don't know they may they may just feel like I'm I'm a normal kid from this town or this city or whatever. What would be your advice for them to begin to sort of write their story and create their brand? How do you think they should go about it? I mean, that's a hard question to answer just in a pot, quick podcast. Sure. <laughs> but you really have to take a look at yourself and what makes you unique, what sets you apart. Also, when it comes to your story, the story that we hear a lot is like, especially with hip hop, it's like, oh, you know, I started off as a poet, I was just writing, and then, you know, I met a producer and we hopped in the booth and then everything was great from there. That's how it started. But like, think of the the tiny details. Talk about that moment when, you know, you fell in love with music. What were you listening to then? Or, you know, really like, don't generalize it so much. Mm. Really put yourself in that those moments that made you fall in love with with music and like talk about it in as much detail as possible, if that makes sense. Just say, oh, yeah, well, I, you know, I started writing poetry and then I met a producer and then, you know, no, like, mm. <laughs> am yeah, I part of our- <laughs> yeah, no, part of my part of our artist development program we did in January, um, the first week we spent on branding. And we made it a point the first two classes to really break each artist down to the point where they don't know what makes them them anymore. And then we had them think from one class to the next class, you know, over over the course of 24 hours before they came back, what's your story? And so when they came back, um, you know, one of the artists was saying, uh, she was telling us her story about how she got started. And this is stuff that she didn't mention to us the day before when we asked what their brand was. I know exactly who you're talking about, too. Yeah. And so she was talking about she was talking about how she grew up really, really, really broke in Miami with her family, watching her kids or watching her watching her, her brothers and sisters because her parents were working a billion jobs to get by. Mm-hmm. And then long story short, she ended up moving to California and was like doing fashion for Jamie Foxx and all these other people. And then because she was being in those music circles all the time, she gave her she tried being an artist and she loved it just as equal as fashion. And so there's such an interesting story there with even Jamie Foxx included in it that we yeah. didn't even know when we asked what the story was. The first day she said that she's dope. No one's like, nobody makes music <laughs> like her. And I'm like, okay, well, if I look like you, dress like you, sound like you, what sets us apart? Mm. And so I think that's always the question that I think artists who are listening to this should ask themselves. If somebody cloned themselves right here, and they look like me and they sound like me and they make the mm-hmm. same music as me and they dress the same way as me and they walk the same way as me. What sets us apart? And that's yeah. your story. I think that's really valuable, actually. I, I like that. And I, I like that because um, with myself as an artist and with my with my personal background, I I certainly think that I'm like the only person, certainly in music, certainly in hip hop, possibly just generally in life who's kind of got the elements in it, you know, growing up in Saudi Arabia going to an American school, going to Oxford University, studying computer science, being a management consultant for three years, and then leaving that to become a full-time artist. And I, yeah, when you were saying that, I was kind of thinking, yeah, I don't think anyone else can replicate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah I, was, I don't think anyone else can replicate that backstory. Uh, you, you touched a little bit on how artists look. So in terms of visual branding, how important do you think that is in relation to the overall story? That's extremely important. I mean, you need to look professional online in order for people to take you serious. It is what it is. A book is always judged by its cover. 
in the music industry. And because of that, you know, you have to play the game. So it's like, aside from knowing your story, you know, when someone looks you up, what do they see? Are your, are your photos professional? Are your cover art, does, your graphic designs, do they look great? You know, do they, do they make you stand out? Do your, does your cover art look like everything that's out there or does, is it uniquely you? Is it something that you're bringing to the table? You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, do you have a, a website? that has your bio fully written and professional, you know, all of those things. Are your social media names the same? And are they your artist name? Or do you look like five different people online? <laughs> yeah. I think on top of that too, and you don't have to dress a certain way as long as what you're wearing relates to your brand. Yeah, you so don't want to create a gimmick. A lot of yeah. artists think that you have to create this gimmick and mm-hmm. you don't have to create a gimmick. <laughs> you just have yeah. to... Pinpoint the things that make you unique, that make you stand out, and bring those to the forefront. Right. Like, I wouldn't change – if I became a rapper, I wouldn't really change my fashion because my story is still the same. Does that make sense? Like, if I all of a sudden decided tomorrow I'm going to become a rapper, then what I would need to do is still dress the same because that's who I am. And it's it's part of my story and and what I think and what I believe and who I am, like I said. But I would need to change the quality – of the pictures of me on my social media. And I would have to make sure that my Instagram matches, my Twitter matches, my Facebook, I have a website and everything's cohesive. So yeah. there's like more strategic things that artists really need to focus on before they think about buying a $500 pair of Jordans. Like that's not going to make you stand yeah. out. Yeah. But it's like, you know, you, you, people know you by what you, what they see consistently. So it's like, you know, that those things become part of your brand. If I'm wearing red all the time, which I do, they're like, okay, well, Breezy loves red. That's a part of my brand. And now it's, it's part of the taste creators colors. It's like, don't change who you are to try to mold yourself into some, something just be mm-hmm. you consistently <laughs> and yeah. point those things that do make you stand out. Maybe you always wear friggin' trucker hats or something like that's a part <laughs> of your brand. Maybe that should be your merch now, you know? Um, that's so crazy to think about because I, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking off the top of my head, so many artists that we, we, we know, either we've worked with or that have come through and, and we've talked with them, that have been told by somebody else to dress like an artist. And it's crazy because now in 2019 with the younger generations, like you could literally wear whatever you want. And as long as what you're wearing relates to your music, relates to your audience, you could literally wear only, only $2 dollar store sweatpants and make, you know what I mean? Like you don't have to always dress. Now, I, I get it to a certain extent though, because it's like if 20 people lined up, you, you kind of want to stand out. You're supposed to look like an artist when you come into the room, but it's not just about how you're dressing. It's your presence. in Right. Like you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, it's been interesting for myself as an artist because I, I just feel like as time has gone on, I've become kind of more and more confident and knowledgeable about who I really am. You know, not not just not even just as an artist, just like as a person. Like, I think it can take, I think it can take like decades to really work out. Like, okay, what really, what what really makes me tick? Okay, breaking away from what. I've been told or what I've heard from that person or whatever, like what really defines me, what really drives me, what do I really think, like what's really my authentic self and how do I present that, you know what I mean? As much as people say keep it real or be yourself or stuff like that, I think that's actually quite rare. I think it's quite rare because I think a lot of people want to present this 
image. It's it's weird because in a way, in a way, you want to present an image, but at the same time, that image should be your authentic self. It's just like you need to yeah. re reveal it and display it in a way that and be confident in it. Be and, yeah, yeah. You need yeah. You really you need to like really own it. It's almost like a. It's not exaggerated, but I think yeah. well, cer certainly on stage. I think like on stage, I feel like I'm just I'm more me when I'm on stage. Does that make sense? It's like Zuby, but you've like turned the volume up. So yeah, it's like, it okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, this is me. I'm being me. I'm saying the stuff I say. I'm doing what I do, but it's just like, it's just amped up. It's not like uh, I put on a mask and I put on a costume and yeah, you don't have to go out and buy, you know, a Gucci belt and, and all these expensive ass clothes. And like, if that's not really you, no. you don't you know. It's crazy. If you, if you think about big, big, big rappers who talk about having those expensive things, right? If you take the Gucci belt off of Travis Scott, Travis Scott's still going to be Travis Scott and make great, and make, in my opinion, good music. But he's still he's still going to make the records he's making. It's not like you buy a Gucci belt and all of a sudden you're a better artist. No. So I think for, for artists coming up, it's like there is nothing that you can buy materialistically that's going to make you a better artist. And there's nothing that you can materialistically buy that's going to up your engagement. Everything has to go through you know the, the, the organic nature of knowing your story, knowing your brand. How do you relate to that? How do you relate that to your audience and to your to your listeners and to your fans? So for artists who are listening to this, if there's one thing that they can do, obviously it's going to vary from individual to individual, but as you know, professionals who have worked with a big range of artists, what what is the one key thing maybe as a as a general rule that you think artists can do to step up their step up their game, step up their presence, reach that next level? whether that's in making more fans, gaining more followers, doing doing whatever it is to hit that next echelon. What is it that people are not doing that they should be? There's a lot of different things. Okay. And, and my answer might be a little different than Watts, but my whole thing is focus on the music, make sure that the music is, is stellar, and don't put it out to get feedback. Get feedback before you put it out. Mm -hmm. um, be consistent. Put yourself out there consistently. You know, don't hide in the studio, like okay. really put yourself out there and build your community. Uh, I don't care if you have 20 fans. It's like, talk to them. Yeah. You know, uh, followers are not fans. You really have to engage with the audience that's paying attention. A lot of artists are just so focused on trying to build a bigger audience that they don't actually pay any attention to the people who are currently following them. When it's like, if they just made some effort and built relationships with those people those those core people are going to be the ones that spread the word about you to to others yeah. so and build your community i want to i want to dive into that a little mm -hmm. how do you suggest people go around doing that because again artists oftentimes hear phrases like that where they they kind of hear like, like a very high level view of it you know build an audience build a community engage your fans but are there particular things that you think, either online or offline, that you found to be particularly yeah. effective? Um, offline, go to events, find different musical things going on in your area. Don't be afraid to go out and show support. You know, some artists won't even show up to an event if they're not performing. And I feel like that's just the wrong way to go about it. You know, you want to, and when people can see your face consistently, you're going to make an impact. You know, mm -hmm. they're gonna be like, who's this guy? 
you know, uh, so definitely when you're offline, make sure that you are supporting others and you're being active in the music community. Go to festivals, you know, do think different things like that that can, you know, expose you to a, a bunch of different people. Um, yeah. Online, you know, the consistency, if, if you're consistent, you're going to attract people. People are going to comment on your post. They're going to retweet you, you know, comment, respond to every comment, respond to every DM. You know, when you're on Twitter, uh, retweet people, join in on conversations. You know, it's, it's really just about being, using social media and being social, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, and as far as building your community, when you find people that are really, really interested and you see that they're liking all your posts and they're saying, you know, that, that this music is fire and all that stuff, get their emails, you know? And I know Zuby, you know, this, um, you know, having that, Having that newsletter, having someone, when somebody gives you their email, they're giving you permission to market to them. Mm-hmm. So why not collect as many emails as possible and make that your VIP club? You know, yeah. um, that's really, really important. If you have, you know, a thousand people that are subscribed to you that want to hear from you and then you sell them all uh, a hoodie that's 50 bucks, it's made some decent money, you know, yeah. by off of just a thousand people. So it's really, really important to build your community. And the last thing I'm going to say, make sure that you're investing in your marketing. And I don't mean going out and spending thousands and thousands on just like a PR campaign. I mean, like start small and put 50 to 100 bucks into Facebook and Instagram ads, you know, really start putting money into what you're doing. Uh, We have artists that, that come to us and they're like, yo, you know, I'm like, what's your marketing budget? And they're like, well, I just spent $3,000 on this music video. So what can you do for $200? And it's like, so you have a $3,000 product that you're going to only put $200 in getting out there. If you really think about that, that doesn't make any sense. You know, Um, why spend $3,000 on something that you can't get out there? It's like buying the finest possible ingredients to make pizza and then Mm. putting it in the microwave. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, be consistent and drop music and drop content and, and communicate with your fans and go out and show love and network and talk to people, but also put some money into those ads, you know, yeah. put, put a marketing budget behind yourself. If you're spending three grand on a video, have three grand to market it at least. Did I miss anything, Watts? I mean, the whole music video topic, I could talk about videos forever because yeah. I just want to say for the artists listening to this podcast, please understand that the point of a music video is to prolong the shelf life of your record. Do not drop the song and the video the same day. Do not drop the video the day after the song. Do not drop the video within a week of the song because you're competing with yourself. If you, if you, if Zuby, if you drop a video and your song and it's the same song, right? It's the same song with a video the same day. And you Mm -hmm. say a new song out on streaming platforms. Also check the video out. Just drop today. Right. Regardless of how much money you spent on it, because that's always going to be the painstaking point is you spent all this money on that. Right. But now as a fan, I have to decide, Okay, well, do I go watch the video or do I stream the audio? Well, the video is a visual aspect. So I'm going to go watch the video. Okay, I watched the video. The song's okay. Now, do I go stream it? Well, uh, maybe maybe I don't. I heard the song already, the video. So now Mm -hmm. you lost out on all those streams, number one. And number two, the people who go look at the streams. Who haven't had a chance to look at YouTube yet, but they're on. They're moving around in their phone, and they went to Apple Music, and they clicked the link, and now they're listening to streaming your song. Maybe they forget your video came out because mm-hmm. you put it out in the mm-hmm. same day, and now you don't get any views. So okay. always understand that the music video is meant to prolong the shelf life. So work the audio, work the record as much as you possibly can. Put the money into the ads, put the money into the campaign, put 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 the money behind that, and work that. And create audio. other unique video content. 
you know, yeah. bring people behind the scenes, show the creation of the records, you know. And just mm. when just when the music audio in terms of the streaming counts and in terms of the hype and the buzz around it starts to dip a little bit, you say music video coming out on set a date. And then from that point until the music video comes out, you have all the behind the scenes footage you're posting as promotional content. You're talking to maybe a little interview vlog about you and, and the videographer who worked on it together, maybe the creative concept behind it. And then by the time that video drops, everyone's going to watch that video, which in turn is going to make people love the song again and your streaming numbers are going to go back up. So there's a real strategic process to this. Okay. Yeah, and I see a lot of artists that, uh, damn, what was I going to say? So they pick the, they may, they might shoot a video for a song that's not even out yet. And mm -hmm. they end up picking it just for like, they don't really have a strategy behind what video, what, what song they chose to, to shoot a video for. When it's like, if you're an indie artist and you don't have a big budget, you really have to watch where your money goes, right? Absolutely. So why shoot a video for a song that you don't even know if people are gonna like the song when you can just drop a couple audio tracks, see what people are gravitating towards the most, and then shoot a video for the one that's doing the, the best, that's getting mm -hmm. the most streams. I actually yeah. don't understand the fascination with independent hip hop artists and music videos. And I, I maybe, maybe I, I get like it because video, we're in a video world yeah I mean, I, I, everybody I, wants to see a music video but at the yeah, same time there's so many other ways to go about marketing but i feel like also that's starting to change because this video video is king but a music video doesn't have to be the visual content i would also zuby i'd rather instead of music video that you've done i would much rather see an interview with you or i'd much rather see you talk about the concept behind the music in the studio actually making it a really good example of this that we always bring up to artists is the, uh, he's an American singer and kind of a rapper, but John Bellion. Um, oh, yeah, John yeah, puts these videos. Yeah, he puts these videos on YouTube of him pu like putting together, creating a song from scratch. They're like five to six minute long videos. Mm. And by from the beginning to the end, you learn how the song's created. You learn the meaning behind it. You learn the sounds he used, who was in the studio, who engineered it. Like It's so intriguing. And you don't need a music video after that because I just watched that. And I'm showing it to my friends because, yeah, watch how this guy makes this song. It's crazy. Yeah. So I feel like you say visual content is still king, but I don't understand the fascination with getting like a bunch of models and like a nice car <laughs> and like throwing money up. Like I don't, I don't think I, I think the market's heading in the opposite direction to that. I yeah. think music videos are going to do them now. They need to be creative. They need to be fun. They need to be yeah. Because a lot of the low budget music videos just are like you walking down the block or you standing on the corner in front of the bodega. You know, wrapping into the they they all look the same. So yeah. it's like, sicko sicko mode's a really cool example of like how to really do a good one because of not just what was in it, but how cool it was edited, how it kind of broke barriers in the way that the video was shaking and editing and lining up with the actual song. So like cutting edge stuff like that needs to be thought of these days. You can't just be putting together the same old throw the money in the air, wearing all this bling. Like that was two thousand five. You know, this is mm. fourteen years later. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's really, it's really interesting because I, I, I agree with everything you say there and I've made it a commitment in my career to never make like a typical generic rap video. Like none of my, I don't have a single music video out of the 20 plus that I've shot, which someone could say like, I've, I've never, have I ever, no, I've never hired a model for music video and I've never, and I've never posed in front of a vehicle that I don't own. Like if I, if I put, right, if, if a vehicle's in my video, it's gotta, it's gotta like be mine. If I'm posing in front of a car, it's, it, I have to own it. That's like my rule. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because I, I agree with everything you say there, but at the same time, I recognize that what could be considered very generic, both in terms of music and in terms of visuals 
and in terms of content, sometimes it seems like it works. Sometimes I look at what's going on in the States and I'll look at, I don't know, the double XL freshman list or, you know, which rappers are popping, which ones are hot, like what's going on. And sometimes I'll listen to it and I'm just like, it's, it, it's like the beats sound the same. <laughs> They're not saying anything new. The visuals are totally. the same thing. The I content mean, if you want to so go out it, there and you want to be it, a clone, that's one thing. But if yeah. you're really like trying to bring your own little vibe to the table, then you have yeah. to also yeah, absolutely also understand that the artists that are on the cover of, cover of XXL and the ones that are getting those press usually are the ones that labels scooped up and molded themselves. So that's usually the case where a label's taking an artist that once was original and said, all right, you got to make this music, this music, this music, you got to look this way. We're going to shoot a video because when the label's covering all of this and you're not paying out of your pocket and you gotta do it promising, their way. you're promising and you're signed and you signed a 360 deal and didn't, didn't realize what you were doing. That's Five hours. Do. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, a really, really good example of a non-urban um, artist is uh, this pop singer, Betty Who. She's a um, female singer. I think she's originally from Australia and uh, now she lives in LA and she's a pop artist. She was signed to, I believe, RCA for a while and her albums were always good. She has a good following, but a lot of the songs sounded similar and a lot mm -hmm. of the songs there was a reason why she had to do ballads and she had to do like, she had to have something for everybody on her album. She just put out on Friday, the new, the first album after getting off that deal. Mm -hmm. And the music is so, you can hear that it's the music she wants to make. You can hear okay. the difference. So oh, you know, when I'm, when I'm, the point in saying that is, you know, when you look at these artists, you know, in America that are gracing the cover of XXL Freshman, I would say nine times out of 10, they're signed to a major and the major's telling them what to do to get them onto the XXL. And yeah. so, when you talk, when you look at like where they came from, they may not have been doing the same stuff they're currently doing under the label. They might have done what they've done on unique side to get them to that point where the label was interested. The label scooped them up, signed them, said, "Okay, you're going to be this." Or they did a trolling publicity stunt. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, because in a label's head, you know, they they have a certain type of artist. They're not going to push another female rapper at Atlantic when Cardi B put out Bodak Yellow. There was no black female music being pushed out of Atlantic because at that time, because Bodak Yellow was such a huge hit. So they were waiting, they were shelving all the other artists that were a similar demographic as Cardi. So through a label, most of the time, I don't want to say all the time because I don't want to hurt anybody, but most of the time, the label is looking at these artists when they scoop them up and saying, how can we position them to counteract the other, the other label's version of this? How can we pick up somebody that kind of looks and sounds like Drake so now we have someone to go up against Drake. Gotcha. So there's always these molds they're going to put you in. So yeah, I would say always, with Drake right now. <laughs> that's true. I would always say, look at how the artists, those artists started and look at their brands, how they started. Sure. So in terms of artists investing in themselves, like I'm, I'm in, I'm a full-time independent artist myself. So I can, I can vouch that one thing for me, which can be challenging and something which I've really had to learn through a lot of trial and error and feeling doing what feels like burning a lot of money in the process is knowing where to allocate a very limited budget, you know? So you, you say you, you've made an album or you've got a single or something and you've got maybe, I don't know, a thousand dollars, $2,000, maybe $5,000 at a push. Maybe if you're not, you're a hundred percent independent to invest in this thing and promote in this thing. I mean, what would your advice be for artists on how to, go about allocating that. I, I I know from experience, it can be really easy to, to, to burn, burn it. Yeah, yeah to, to burn it and have, be like, I don't really know, well, you know. What, what I will say way. is that the more you learn how to do on your own, the mm -hmm. less money you'll spend paying somebody to do it. So 
in order to avoid spending crazy, crazy, I mean, here's the thing. As soon as you decide to take yourself serious as an artist and really, really do this, you're automatically like, like you have to invest money into it. You know, labels invest hundreds of thousands of dollars. So on an indie level, no, you maybe can't invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into yourself at once, but that doesn't mean that you should only put invest $200, you know? Sure. Um, one thing that uh, you definitely need to pay attention to is graphic design. Make sure that you're, you're, you're visually, everything looks awesome. And that, so that way when, you know, you do reach a new person, they are attracted to whatever it is that you're promoting to the point that it makes, it intrigues them to click on it. Another thing that I feel like you get the most bang for your buck with Instagram and Facebook ads. They're the cheapest that they probably ever will be. And if they're targeted properly, that's the key words. If they are targeted properly, you can, you can reach massive amounts of people for a couple hundred bucks. You know, I suggest doing like testing out the waters with that before going to hire someone else to do something for you. And with those ads, this is a this is quite a specific question here, but I think it's important because Facebook in particular has changed so much over the last few years and it's begun and it's become a lot harder to reach people organically. In terms of those Facebook ads, what would you recommend the goal for those ads to be? I mean, is it to go to a website? Is it to click a button? Is it to like the page? Well, it depends. Usually you're get you you want to you're doing some outreach for some your music or for your video or for your brand. You might have an ad going out to send people to your website. You might have another one going out to go to your YouTube video. Another one going out to just go to your Instagram page. You know, there's there's many different ways to do it. However, the main goal of it is to reach the people who would appreciate your music the most. Mm -hmm. So that way they can spread it to others. If you have a song or you have a video or, or whatever, and you, you get it to 500,000 people, if it's amazing, you, those 500,000 people are going to start spreading it. And then before you know it, you're at a million. Mm. So the whole main purpose of social media ads is to reach a bigger amount of people in a quicker time. So instead of like just a couple thousand followers that are following you, if you do an ad, you can reach so many more people if it's targeted properly. Do you generally recommend that artists focus locally in terms of geography? Initially, yes. Um, and that's, I mean, maybe we could talk about targeting ads a little bit just so they yeah. understand. But, um, you know, when you're targeting an ad, there's, you get a couple different options. So I don't mean like just a regular boosted post on Instagram. I mean like actually creating an ad. Um, they let you choose interests. They let you choose areas and they let you choose age ranges. Right. Yeah. So you don't want to try to target all of America. Yeah, or all in certain country, you know what I mean? You yeah. want to really start small and yeah, definitely in your area, right? And maybe a yeah. five mile radius outside of your area. Um, and then what you do is, you know, you test it out. You do an ad for a certain area. Um, also make sure that you are targeting a specific age range. Your music is not for everyone. Remember the point of an ad is to try to get it to people who would appreciate your music the most. So think about how old are they? You know, are they 12 and 13 to 22 or are they 18 to 30, you know, 18 to 25? Are they for an older crowd? Really, really think about that. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you start doing ads, you'll find the audience that like really works for you. Um, but another way to look at it is pay attention to your streaming analytics. See where people are listening to your music. 
and then do an ad targeting those specific areas. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's valuable advice for a lot of people there. I've got one question for each of you. Well, maybe no, two questions. I'll, I'll do the. So first question is you guys must both see or hear from or go through like hundreds of artists every week. What is it that makes an artist stand out to you? Is it the music first? Is it the something that makes you want to listen to the music? Is it the story? Is it the photo? What is it for you personally that makes you go, ah, okay, that's worth looking into? So uh, the energy that an artist brings when they want to work, I think is what you, it's a telltale sign, right? So like if an artist has- Gratification or long-term vision. I can tell if they have a short-term vision or a long-term mentality right off the first conversation. If they're saying, I had somebody, uh, we actually, I got on a call with them last week um, and they looked, they were wanting to do a consultation and they, they emailed me a couple hours after the call. And then they said, can you get me on no jumper podcast? And I was really confused because we had just talked about having a long-term vision and they said they understood that. So right off the bat, I don't want to, I don't want to work with that, but with those people, like that's sure. where, that's where we talk about like turning down money. Cause that's where expectations get mismanaged. If you have a short-term vision and you don't at all understand a long-term mentality and how this is a long-term game and how, you know, it doesn't you don't really want to learn the things that you need to be doing. <laughs> and yeah. you don't, yeah. And you don't really care about the brand being cohesive and because you the human lights. <laughs> artists look at the big artists and they immediately are like, how do I do that? And the whole perception, the whole smoke and mirrors of music industry comes to an ugly head. Right. So yeah. for me, the biggest thing that I see that I, makes me want to work with an artist is the energy they bring to me, which is them saying, Oh, okay. Well, how do I, how do I, how do I get my branding right? How do we figure out my target audience? Sure. Them understanding that. If they don't understand that, then at least being willing to learn, understanding how important it is. And all of that is, like I said, going into the overall um, the overall idea of having a long-term mindset. You can't have a long-term mindset and not be thinking about, you know, what am I, what can I do right? What can I do right now to get me where I need to be in a couple Aside of years? Aside from like pay for instant gratification. Yeah, sure. Right. It's, right. Just, it's like we can give you a marketing campaign. We can do PR. We can get you on these other different outlets. But the key with us is we're not going to do that until you're ready, until you sure. can really capitalize off of it. But uh, yeah, with me, I agree with Watts. What I really look for is like their vision. Are they, do they want instant gratification or are they in it for the long haul? Do they want to learn more? Um, and then when it comes to marketing an artist, the music is always first in my book. If I'm not in love with the music, I can't possibly send it out to my connects. Sure. I can't convince somebody to love something that I don't love. In the mm. same in the same stand, I, I want to also throw in there that it may not be my cup of tea, but mm -hmm. I but, but it's it, still it gotta be really awesome. good. It's yeah. still gotta be really good. Exactly. Like like for for instance, like Breezy's a pretty big R and B fan. She's more of an R and B fan than I am. So a lot of times we have artists that make like that slower R and B that I have to really want to talk about music critiques. It's a little bit more of putting myself in an objective space to give that feedback where Breezy's like, oh, I love this. I can't <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. first and foremost is that we take what we like and what we dislike out of the scenario Ooh. and out of, our, out of all the conversations and we look at it objectively. We look gotcha. at it as, okay, can this song transcend into- Like, will someone else love this? Exactly. Yeah. Well, will the average listener like yeah. this and why? And so I agree totally with that is the music has to be good. And going back to the budgeting, it's like you artists, you guys need to be paying your engineers and you have to be the, the best dollar that you can spend is on good sounding music. And if your music yeah. sounds like crap and you spend tons and tons and tons of money in PR and marketing, 
those are the people that have tons of followers and you go to their their Spotify streams and they're in the hundreds. It's like, how is that possible? Well, they're paying for their following and their music is getting the short end of the stick. Because the music is what's going to carry you. Mm. You want music that people can, when I press play, I'm going to, I'm going to press play again. So the music is very, very important. Absolutely. And a last question for each of you is where do you see things going in the next five to 10 years in terms of music? Tricky question. I know we can't predict the future. Oh, in terms of music? You know, oh, yeah, well, God, well, that wasn't about us. Okay. Oh, no, 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 not, not you guys. I wanted it to be about us, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, let's say 2009, the way people were consuming music and the sort of overall landscape was, was quite drastically different, I'd say, to yeah. is now with the rise of streaming and greater use of social media and some of these platforms, which, you know, 2009 stuff like Instagram didn't, it didn't, it didn't really even exist, you know? So where do you see or where, yeah, where, where do you see things going in the next five to 10 years? Do you think? I don't think streaming's going anywhere. Okay. I think how it works on the back end and how the artists get paid and the different deals that they ink with these, you know, with Spotify or Apple is going to change, but people love instant gratification. We're in an instant gratification world now. So I really don't think that streaming is going to go anywhere. Okay. Um, and to follow up on that, the attention spans are going to get shorter and shorter. They're not done yet. They're not. They're not short enough yet. Like, <laughs> we're going to get to. We're going to get to a point where the average music listener will listen to three seconds of a song. <laughs> That's why right it's here. Without a fifteen-minute album, each song is a minute long. <laughs> exactly. So I think, in, in terms of how artists can benefit from shorter attention spans is you know two things one is by doing the right thing in terms of your branding and your marketing and making sure you're giving your audience exactly what they're coming to you for in terms of okay well they like me because i am this way this way and this way i'm going to give them content that feeds into that right that's one thing the other thing is your records have to be fire and they have to be good from the start no two minute intro there's no more like filler songs anymore and Mm. albums are everything's a single albums are still important in, in some respects but artists who think dropping just albums as developing artists without dropping singles and doing promotional work for singles and lead ups and rollouts for singles and playlisting for singles, like you're not going to win. You're not going to win. Why would I go listen to your album if I've never heard a song of yours before? Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Breezy, and you, for being on this podcast. It's been really insightful, and I hope that any upcoming artists or creatives can really take some of those tidbits and run with them to improve their careers. And if anything, they can hit us up. <laughs> Absolutely. Where, where can people find you online? Uh, well, they can really go to tastecreators.com, www.tastecreators.com, exactly how it's said. Um, or yeah, at Taste Creators on all social media. I mean, you can find me <laughs> on Twitter at breezyb 215 at it's just watts but if you look up taste creators you'll just see all of us you'll see the whole team awesome i'll put the links in the uh, show description so people will be able to find it there amazing thank you man we really really thank you so much appreciate it You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.